Welcome to Home Education Matters, the weekly podcast supporting you on your home education journey. Welcome to Home Education Matters and today I'm joined by Luke Dadford and I reached out to Luke to come on the podcast because he wrote a very interesting blog post about the use of artificial intelligence and it occurred to me that as home educators this is perhaps something that we're increasingly seeing around and that our children are becoming more and more exposed to as I wanted to speak to Luke about the use of AI and things like chat GPT and that kind of thing in education so first of all Luke thank you so much for joining me today and would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about you? Hi um, my name is Luke Danford Um, I write a blog um, as um, Eleanor said Um, and I've touched on AI before and I plan to write a little bit more about it in the future. Um, While I'm not home educated myself, um, members of my family are and so I have some exposure to that sort of side of things. Um, Yeah and I think it's interesting to sort of um, think about how the world of um, education generally um, will be impacted by artificial intelligence. Is this something you've studied or uh, something you've looked at sort of for for a job or anything like that? Um, informally, yes. I don't, I don't have formal education in this area, as of yet at least. I'd, I'd potentially like to in the future. And so what, what led you to writing a blog? Um, I suppose it was more just general interest, because um, I follow a lot of people on Twitter or on other blog, blog posts or forums. Um, I sort of start to read a lot. Um, and when you start to read a lot and um, sort of get exposed to all these ideas, I think writing a blog is useful for a number of reasons. One, um, there's a big one for me, is to sort of clarify your own thoughts, to sort of, you know, process it all and and think, okay, where do I actually stand um, in terms of all this? And the other is to sort of help anyone else that might be in a similar position to you or or to where you were in terms of trying to figure out what's what's going on here. I I certainly would have and do appreciate these, these kinds of things, these kinds of resources. And yeah, I hope it sort of scratches that itch for people. And does it have a theme, your blog, or is it just on whatever sort of is interesting you at the time? Um, well, I've just recently started it, so it's I, I try to keep it as um, non-committed to any one specific area. My, my first few blog posts are going to be theme, themed around AI, but um, I'm, I'm actually an economics student, um, and so I plan to write a little bit related to that at some point in the future, maybe some other topics of interest. What sort of economicist? Wait, wait. Let me try that one again. What sort of economist are you? Are you? Uh, I know they've got very fancy terms for economist now. You're not just like left or capitalist or whatever. I know they have super fancy terms like progressive left, free market or something. So, what would you classify yourself? Well, as? That, that, that's more sort of um, that's more sort of the, the politics side of things. But in terms of economics as a field, it's more sort of micro or macro um, or econometrics, which is about basically um, empirical economics so about trying to um, trying to, try to actually study what, what are the effects what are the causal effects of you know this policy or that change um, which is a really fascinating field um, uh, that sort of got big from sort of the 1980s onwards yeah it, it's, it's something I'm passionate about and would like to write about at some point even though I'm still sort of learning myself It's interesting how AI and economics meet because I went to a lecture by the, I feel like he was like, I think he was a statistician actually. And he said, Spiegel, Spiegel something. Oh, Spiegelman. 
Oh, mm, yeah. I went to a lecture by him and um, some. Like, uh, I actually know this guy. Um, sorry, not Spiegelman. Uh, Spiegel Heister or some Spiegel. Yes, yes, yes. I know exactly who you mean. Uh, Spiegel... He did a lot of Spiegel Spiegel Halter. Spiegel Halter. Yeah, he did. Yes. He, and I That's went to a lecture by him and everyone was mm. asking questions. And I asked whether he thought that AI was going to make statisticians redundant in the future. And I got very told off. <laughs> <laughs> You really didn't like that question, uh, because I would have thought that AI, when it comes to analysing economics and when it comes to analysing statistics, will actually be really taking away a lot of the sort of the, the grunt work of, of statisticians and economists. Would you see it? In well, that it's, way it's, interesting, well? it's interesting you bring up statistics, because there's a lot of sort of um, debate, certainly in, in those kinds of fields, about what, what is AI? You know, how do we actually define AI? Because there's a lot of overlap uh, in terms of modern AI, at least. It wasn't so much like that back in uh, the 70s or whatever, um, where it's more you, you had this approach called symbolic learning, which was which is quite different to um, the sort of machine learning of today. But but um, today there's a lot of overlap with uh, statistics, um, and so you, you you'll see sometimes some sort of pushback from people in more sort of economics and statistics fields about. Uh, labeling um, some of these models as as AI, when a lot of it is sort of using um, stati statistical modeling and stuff, and so there's you know a sort of a a, qu a question of you know how do we how do we define delineate what is what is AI? That's interesting because my my first question to you before we sort of look at how AI might impact on, in education and and specifically with home education, my first question was going to be what is AI and how do we define it? Because to be honest, statistical modeling, I would have thought has a lot of AI going on, but are they trying to kind of separate that out now and say that's not AI in some way? Because isn't AI purely that in some way? Um. Most sort of current approaches are, are sort of using statistical models. Yeah, um, as I say, that wasn't always the case, but but these days, yeah, there's an awful lot of overlap um, in terms of the sort of techniques used. Um, as for how to actually define AI, that's, that's a really good question, and I'm reluctant to give an answer. I'm going to have to push you for an answer, just like Jeremy Paxman would. You're going to have to oh. push you for an answer, Luke. I'm afraid. <laughs> um. I would say some statistical or mathematical or code-based model that can replicate or appear to replicate some aspect of uh, human behavior or something. I, I don't know if I have to give a very, like very no, off like the cuff that. sort of intuitive um, answer, but yeah, I'm, I'm sure there are plenty of holes someone could pick in that and, and go, ah, oh, what about this? <laughs> No, that seems that seems like a good a good definition to me. So, and this is obviously this idea of replicating to a degree the processing of the human mind. So you've got the input, then you've got the processing, then you've got the output, and that's a popular that's been a popular idea of human consciousness pretty much since we entered the, the computer age. So this idea of input, process, output. So I'm guessing that when it comes to AI, the processing is is just done by a computer and what they they do i guess i don't know much about it i guess they they take all the information they can find online and they use that as their processing so just as we would maybe take all of our memories and our experiences and use that as our processing power within our brain the computer takes everything that's on the internet and then uses that as uh, to give some sort of sort of data for it to do the processing is that about right well, yeah, uh, modern, uh, I'm mostly talking here about um, 
large language models, so LLMs, things like um, ChatGPT um, is probably the most well-known example. Yeah, these are trained on huge, huge um, data sets um, of, of internet data. So we're talking um, petabytes, I think. So where a petabyte is, is it no terabytes even, sorry. Sorry, I, I, I think it's terabytes. Um, I can't remember the figures off the top of my head, but yeah, just massive amounts of, um, so, so a terabyte is a lot, as I'm sure you know, like 1,000 gigabytes. But we're talking about um, terabytes of text, purely text data. So this is, you know, okay, well, GPT-4 was trained on more than purely text, technically, but, but still. What did it yeah, take it, other than just text? Because I've always assumed that something like ChatGPT just basically has harvested as much text as possible that we've populated onto the internet and then uses that as its data. But is it doing more than that? Um, yes and no. So there, there are two sort of training stages, or, or two, two main types of training stages uh, when it comes to modern LLMs. It's the pre-training stage, which is basically just give it a load of text data from the internet to train on um, not not any text data they, they are they, they do sort of discriminate to some extent um, what they want to use what they call high quality data um, but basically it's then tasked with predicting the next word or word chunk um, for you know a given section of that text data um, and that's basically the the goal of the pre-training stage basically to get very good at predicting how to continue a, a string of text. Um, I see that's um, that's really interesting because it reminds me a little bit of when you put something into Google search and it and it sort mm, of tries yeah. to complete your answer and invariably it comes up with really stupid things. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and it makes you think, God, are people actually searching for this? Because that's that's crazy, right? You know, you put in like I don't know, um, do rabbits, and then they they do things like you know, um, uh, go to Nova Scotia, and you're like, who sure, sure. even search for that? I mean. But yet, ChatGPT doesn't do that. ChatGPT well, does well, do that well, sensible. Yeah, so that's the first the first stage of training. Mm. Um, then, so ChatGPT uses a pre-trained model, which is basically um, an LLM that has been you know undergone that training, which I just talked about. And then it uh, it undergoes a second uh, training stage, which we call fine tuning, which is where it's basically um, trained on usually much smaller um, sets of data. And they're usually formatted differently as well. Um, and the goal there is to basically train it for um, to be good at specific tasks. So be it, um, or, or you know, to have certain qualities. So be it uh, for honesty, you know, because um, if, if it's just an autocomplete machine, you know, it could, it could mm. say anything really. Or if there are certain uh, safeguards you want to be in place, you know, you can try to train it to, you know, avoid talking about certain topics. That's That's something that's often done. How do you train um, an AI to be honest? Um, well, it's very difficult and it's certainly not foolproof. Um, but so one, there, there are sort of two methods that um, ChatGPT uses, um, as far as I'm aware. Uh, the first is what's called uh, supervised learning, where they basically just give it a bunch of examples. Um, you know, this is a good example. This is a bad example. This is a good example. This is a bad example. Uh, and the hope is that from seeing all these different examples, um, it can eventually learn, you know, what, what to do and what not to do um, from sort of feeding in all that data. And the other the other sort of training method that's used in this fine tuning stage, um, certainly by ChatGPT at least, is um, what's called reinforcement learning from human feedback, which is a little bit more complicated. 
Um, but basically, this is where they actually get humans to come in, like actual human evaluators to judge and, and rank, usually, um, a bunch of different examples of statements or responses that have been generated. Um, and they do this again and again and again until eventually they have built up basically a function, a reward model for how to score the highest as judged by these human judges. And then they use that reward model to then train the actual LLM itself. Mm, it's, it's a little so, bit complicated. No, I get it. So the first stage is just like pilot full of data. Then the second fine tuning stage is when they would, you would just try to make it. Yeah, trying to make it more like a human. Basically, yes. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Hmm. Rather than just solely predicting what what is the next most likely word or word chunk, that's when you try to make it more more human-like, I suppose. So ChatGPT is obviously the biggest and most popular at the moment, or at least it's the one that's in the news. It's the one I've heard of. So Yeah, I think that's fair Okay, that's yeah. good then. So what other ones are out there? And is there any value in using one over another uh, when it comes to education? Um, yes, but it, it's changing very fast and it's it's hard to, to predict exactly how things are going to go. Um, and in fact, just, I think it was actually last night. Um, I thought it was this morning, but it was actually late last night. Um, but I, I woke up to see it this morning. Uh, Google actually released a paper um, detailing their latest large language model, um, Palm 2, which is what they're basically, so this is a, a pre-trained model, um, but they they are going to use it for their sort of chatbot AI uh, called Bard, which is currently using um, Palm 1. So, so they're, yeah, they're, they're going to basically use that as their base for for Bard. Um, and this this came out last night, you know, this, this is what I mean. It, it's so, so rapid, you know, uh, it's not just sort of, you know, oh, this year th- this happened or that, that you know, last year this happened. It's more sort of, you know, ev- every week or every few days there's some new new development or something. So it's it's very difficult to um, recommend specific um, um, actions or, you know, po- policy advice um, uh, because there's so much uncertainty and so much happening so quickly. It's hard to say exactly how it's going to develop and over what timescales. Do you think um, there will be any sort of limits put on the use of you? You're calling them like M M N L Ms L L L Ms. So large language L L Ms. Okay. So do you think there'll be any restrictions put on the use of L L Ms when it comes to education? Because I know that um, I've spoken to some teachers and and they they say they just can't keep up with it. You know, this is it's it's exactly the same with plagiarizing, isn't it? It's it's the the education sector is always behind the technology sector, of course, and so it's always playing catch up. So, do you think there will be a stage when restrictions will be put on LLMs? You mean by the government or by specific um, educators? Organized mainly by universities and schools right. and things like that. Um, yeah, I think that's very likely. Um, how effective it will actually be, I'm somewhat doubtful of, because it's it's very difficult, if not impossible, to reliably. Uh, demonstrate when um, someone has used a large language model like ChatGPT. Yes, if you're if you're lazy and you just you know copy paste, you know it, it can be often fairly fairly simple to detect. But you know, assuming you're not and you actually sort of rephrase it in some way or you know try try to put it in a in a more natural tone that matches your own tone. Is that predominantly how it's getting detected now? Is that people are reading this, teachers are reading this, and just saying, yeah, that doesn't sound like Bob's normal writing. 
Um, I don't know too much about from the perspective of teachers themselves, but yeah, if you if you if you sort of play around with these things enough, you can definitely you can definitely start to pick up on on these kinds of things. You know, the sort of the formal the formalness, the sort of uh, it's hard to put into words. But there's a certain um, tone often that they take in terms of it could be this, it could be that, but it could also be this. You know, just very sort of yeah, you you learn to pick up on these things basically. I found when I've been using it that it tends to sound um, kind of overly formal. Yes, yes. Regardless definitely. of what it's writing about, and so I'm guessing if you if you're sort of if you're if you sort of set your child to write an essay on Henry V, and they come out with something that really does sound like uh, like mm. the editor of the Guardian wrote it, then I'm guessing that's a bit of a red flag. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I'd say absolutely, especially if you're used to their normal. Uh, style of writing and you see this massive jump that would be obviously a massive red flag I think the main use cases the main you know legitimate quote-unquote use cases for um, I suppose supplementing learning are more in terms of uh, idea generation so this, this is a, a really good use case I found if you want some you know ideas for you know I, I don't know say I want to um, go on holiday you know it's a really bad example in the context of education but you know you know, give me give me some examples of you know overlooked holiday destinations, for example, um, or something like that, in terms of enhancing creativity. And mm. you know, because I, I I I feel if generally I'm someone who is not overly creative, and so uh, I I think definitely that's something where I've noticed it's sort of helped me uh, in terms of you know idea generation and thinking of things I might not have thought of before. So one advantage of using a large language model would be that as a home educator, you could ask it for ideas. So you could sort of say, yes. I mean, I, I know, for example, for myself, when my daughter was revising for her English language exam recently, I asked it to give me some essay like descriptive writing essay titles and it gave me some descriptive writing essay titles so I didn't right. have to go through all the past papers and I'm guessing it's a similar kind of thing that maybe home educators can use it as generating ideas so you can sort of say what science experiments would be good if in the kitchen if you know what kitchen experiments are good if you want to learn about volcanoes and right. you know you know t tell me about rock formation and things like that so it's is this sure, it's almost sure. like a kind of starter for ideas yeah absolutely yeah I, th I think that's sort of where it's at its best um or another another um useful um legitimate quote-unquote use case i think is for giving feedback for either your own writing or its answers um so if, if you ask it to self-reflect on what it's given sort of refine it um so you would say that one that another advantage of using a large language model would be that it gives feedback and it allows maybe almost for the child to put their writing in and then get almost like marking almost in a way or is it more just verbal feedback or you know written feedback more yeah i'm thinking more sort of verbal, verbal feedback so how could i make this article more formal uh, or um uh, how could i rephrase this this um, piece of writing to talk more about you know this or that I, I, I don't know but um, mm. or how, how could I rephrase this so it's you know more concise I suppose yeah or, or, I mean or, or, you know or, or just a more open-ended thing like asking it to um, you know critique something that, you, that you've written because uh, it can be hard sometimes to step out of your own shoes and sort of evaluate something you've written um, you know critically 
Yeah, it can very much. And also, I'm guessing it, it's helpful maybe if if you've been asked to summarize a piece of text, you know, maybe you, you've read an article about, uh, you know, a, a political article, and then your home education task is to summarize that in 200 words, then you could ask ChatGPT to do the same kind of thing. And you could kind of compare your summary, something like that, almost like almost comparison texts as well. Mm, yeah, yeah, I, I think that could that could work. Okay, so what other advantages are there to ChatGPT and other large language models? Um, I think it's quite good for uh, explaining concepts or summarizing some writing if you have to read something and you don't really like the the, the way that they're trying to explain something. So if you if you have say some uh, you know some 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 writing that you have to read as an assignment. And you know, trying to understand some concept that's trying to describe, but the explanation just just isn't making sense to you. You, you can sort of ask it about um, the subject of that piece of writing, or you know, ask it to try to rephrase it in a more 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 easy to comprehend form, I suppose. Um, yeah. Or, or, so yeah. Could you? So, for example, if you were to be studying uh, um, Jane Austen as an example for your English literature. Sure. Before you start reading it and and studying it, you could actually ask ChatGPT for a kind of five hundred word summary of the novel, and then you've kind of got somewhere to go before you start reading it. That kind of thing. I mean, I mean, yeah, you've you've with, with something like um, a book, you've got to be aware of whether the book itself is actually in its training data. If if it's something common and that's sort of op you know um, open domain or whatever. Um, then yeah, there's a good chance that it will be familiar with that, or, or even if it hasn't read the the text itself, it would have been trained on a lot of writing about mm. you know the text in question. Um, but there are also sort of plugins now that allow you to sort of input an entire PDF, um, and so that's sort of becoming more feasible to summarize or or you know to give feedback on large text documents, whereas previously it sort of wasn't so much. Hit me with more advantages. Are there any more advantages? Are we are we advantaged out of ChatGPT? Um, I, I think that's all I can sort of think of for now. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I suppose it's just useful generally to see it as a tool to enhance your learning rather than to replace it for you. You know, rather, rather than cheating your yourself out of actually getting hmm. an education, you know, <laughs> it, it can actually help you be more productive and to you know get unstuck if you're stuck on some concept or whatever. Yeah. I, and I can see from just from what you've said that it would be useful that I think it's important for parents and students to recognize how it's useful and in, in what ways it's sure. useful. So what about its limitations or the things that perhaps disadvantages perhaps of using it? Right. So, yeah, hallucinations. Um, as it is. Oh, yeah. Sorry. So, yeah, this is this is the sort of the lingo for when it basically makes something up or. <laughs> Or di disregards that... what you've said in some way, or you know. I thought otherwise... that's that's what happens if you just use it too much. You start hallucinating. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. This is this is this is a sort of an anthropomorphism used to describe a large language model when it basically makes something up or disregards what you've entered, what what you're trying to ask it for. Or there are, there are a number of different ways I've seen it used, but but generally it's if it makes something up in in some way. Um, and so you've got to be you've got to be aware of that, and certainly. It's worth checking, specifically if you don't really know about a thing that it's trying to tell you about. Um, you know, for, for any, certainly for anything important, like on an assignment or anything. Um, and so, 
it, it's arguably not so much of an issue now, even though it is still very much a thing that exists. But so for sort of the older models of like chat GPT, um, before you sort of had internet sort of access and things like that, if you were to ask it about things that occurred after it was trained, so GPT 3.5, which is the sort of basic free model of um, chat GPT, I think, I think the most recent sort of um, dates that it knows about in terms of being in, in its training data is 2019 or something. And so if you were to ask it about events after that, what you would find is that it would often answer confidently, but the answers would be complete guesswork, basically. Mm. But it would confidently assert, uh, oh, yes, in, in 2021, uh, th this happened. This person won this election, you know. Uh, Just because that's what it thinks was going to happen, almost. Yeah, because... Well, yeah, partly because it's a, a text continuer, uh, and partly because I imagine um, in the fine tuning stage, um, a lot of the time the human judges probably didn't know exactly what the actual answers were. So they and they would just prefer an answer that sounded confident than an I don't know sort of answer. It's still taking data now, though, all the time. I'm guessing, right? Um, well, yeah. Well, sorry, I'm, I'm talking. I'm talking more about the the, the older model. Um, and now with with the, the sort of paid version of GPT four, you can use plugins. So you can actually allow it to access the internet and sort of search these things itself. This is more sort of an older thing. I mean, hallucinations are still, you know, an issue, but they they're, they're somewhat less of an issue now than they were at least, even though they they do still very much exist. So you need to be a bit careful about what information it produces and maybe double check it if it's mm. something that's more important well, than if, like yeah, well, holiday destinations. Again, this is more a thing. Yeah. Well, again, this is more sort of a, an issue with the older models and like without having access to the internet. But yeah, it could completely um, and still can to some extent, um, you know, make up, make up sources. For example, if you ask it to give sources, you can just completely, you know, hallucinate as, as it's called um, fake sources for the answers that it gives. <laughs> so you've, you've got to be careful, be aware that this is something that can happen. Mm, okay. What other disadvantages would you say or things to watch out for when you're using it, particularly in education? You mean from the perspective of, of students? or Yeah, let's go from the perspective of students and then we can talk about the perspective of parents afterwards. Um, that's a good one. Um, I suppose just generally be aware that things are moving very fast, at least at the moment. How, how long this will continue for is a, you know, it's another debate, but yeah, don't assume that the strengths and benefits of, you know, these kinds of models today will be the same in, you know, even a couple of years. And that the, the use cases could also change quite rapidly. I suppose you generally be aware that, you know, this is very fast moving. So try to keep up to date with what's happening. Um, I, I'm hesitant to give that advice because it's kind of impractical and not very satisfying. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I, I, it, it's really a tricky situation for, for educators, and I really do sympathise because it's very difficult to update a curriculum for the future, just in general, because there's, you know, obviously an identification lag in terms of when you have to identify, you know, what, what is going to be relevant for the workplace of tomorrow. And then there's a, and there's a lag of the students of today actually growing up and going into the workforce. And, you know, you, you obviously have to do a lot of prediction and looking forward, and it's very easy to get that wrong. Um, especially when things are moving so fast like this. So yeah, it's it's it, it's very difficult to give specific advice. What about for parents or for home educating parents? What sort of things should they be sort of worried about or looking out for or sort of just being aware of? I, I think just a general awareness that 
these tools exist and I suppose to a certain extent how to recognize basic sort of lazy use of these tools as well as the fact that you know they are sort of rapidly changing and progressing and sort of yeah becoming more advanced would, would be beneficial at least again I'm very very hesitant to give you know specific advice because it could you know change completely in a few years <laughs> that's so true and I think I think when it comes to all of these things just like I mean I'm I'm considerably older than you Luke and so I remember a world pre-internet yes indeed and it's one of those things where it's all it's just a medium and just like books and screens it's all how you use them rather than something inherent in the thing itself and so for all of these things it's really about how the parent interacts with the child using ChatGPT and how the child recognizes that it's a tool and how to use it and how not to use sure. it, I'm guessing. Okay, so thank you so much for coming thank on you. the podcast today. Do tell us uh, where your blog, what your blog is called and how we can find your blog for any of our listeners. Right. Um, so my blog is ideamill.substack.com. And also, if you'll allow me, I'd like to shout out another relevant blog. It's not mine. But this is uh, someone else who has written about topics that might be of interest to you or your listeners. Um, so this is Ethan Mollick, um, who writes at One Useful Thing. Uh, he's actually uh, an educator himself. And I've, I've read a few of his blog posts. Um, I believe he teaches sort of entrepreneurship or something like that. And he's um, recently tried integrating um, the use of ChatGPT and other AI tools into some of his lessons. And so that's potentially yeah something to look into if you want to read more. Yeah, that's interesting. So that was one useful thing, and yours. Uh, yes, one at, useful thing. And yours is idea mill at Substack. Ideamill.substack.com. Dot Substack. Perfect. Well, thank you, Luke. It's been a pleasure to have you on. I feel like I am much more armed now for when I go into my chat GPT and ask it random information about the world. So, <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate uh, thank it. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us for today's Home Education Matters podcast. See you at the next one. Have a lovely day.